Hello, hello. Welcome to Element City Church. Waving to the people at the balcony. Waving to you online. We are thrilled to have you here. If we haven't met yet, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and it is a delight to have you here checking us out. We've got people checking kids in, coming on in. If you are at home, uh, thanks for tuning in and watching tonight and being a part of this experience. We are starting our Christmas series tonight, in case you couldn't tell from all the decorations here. So, uh, we're moving toward Christmas. In fact, we've got a bunch of different things coming up next week, our Winter Haven walkthrough after service. And so uh, we'd love to invite you to walk Winter Haven with us after service. You can find all the information in the app. And if you don't have the app, especially if you're new, welcome. We know it takes courage coming to a new place. You can actually download our app from your app store for free. Uh, Elements City Church, just type that in, download that. That's an easy way for us to connect. You check events and that has all the information. So like the Winter Haven walkthrough next week, and then we're going to have an after party the week after that, and then Christmas Eve services. So lots going on in the month of December. And if you are new, we'd love to invite you to, uh, to fill out the connection card with us. Just allows us to connect digitally and allows us to follow up with you and maybe answer some of the questions that you might have. You could do that in one of two ways. Either download the app, hit the connection card, fill it out, a couple quick text, name, email, or you can uh, text the word hello to our phone number, our text number, 520-340-6868. Type hello, and that'll send a couple texts and we'll be connected. And if you're new tuning in here, uh, we would love to invite you to our 10-minute party, which is in the back of the room right after service. I'd love to meet you, and we have a free gift for you. It's the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. So if you are new, we would love to invite you to be a part of that. So join us back there. If you've been around for a while, you don't get popcorn, sorry. Uh, but we're glad to have you here. So check in with the app, find up some things. Uh, you can find out all the like playlists and things uh, of what we sing here in worship. So if you want going throughout the week, you're welcome to, to maybe look at that playlist, find out uh, what's going on. The app is super useful and free. So uh, tonight, as we start this Christmas series, we're going to worship a little bit. I'm going to teach uh, out of the Bible, and we're going to end with worship songs. So if you're new, that's kind of where we're going for the next hour, 15 minutes or so. Uh, and every week we pray for a church of the week. Uh, we believe that uh, there's a million plus people in the Tucson surrounding area, and we can't reach everybody. We want to champion the church of Christ. And so tonight we're praying for First Southern Baptist Church of Tucson, Pastor Ed, and uh, we want to ask God's blessing over him. And so if you're here in the house or if you're at home, you can stand up if you want. But if you're here, why don't you stand up with me? Uh, let's pray for our night and our time together. We'll worship a little bit, pray for uh, Tucson, uh, for First Southern, and uh, we'll just pray for our evening together tonight. So God, we are grateful to gather together tonight. We're grateful to worship and, and get our heart's attention in your direction. So we ask for your blessing upon our gathering tonight. Father, we pray for First Southern, Pastor Ed. We pray your blessing over their team and over their church, the reach they have right around the University of Arizona there. God, that church has uh, had a great influence for 100 plus years. And so we're praying that you would refresh and revive them and that you would be at work in their midst, just like you're at work in our midst. And so would you continue to allow us to, to impact people, to reach people that you are searching after. And I pray for our time tonight that we would linger in your presence and worship, that we would look into your word, and we would be changed. Leaving here tonight, encouraged by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.
Stand strong and worship you And if it puts me in the fire Then I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a toy It's your resurrection life if I join you in your sufferings And I'll join you when you rise And when you return, Lord Though all the angels and the saints My heart will still be singing My song will be the same Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be Okay. 
together Oh, I lift my hands to bring my whole life down My whole life down before you I lift my hands to bring my whole life down My whole life now is for you I lift my hands to bring my whole life down My whole life down before you Savior, but, but as our King, as the one who came as a baby, who was raised as any child would, and yet became the very Son of God and was all along. But there's that moment where your divinity was revealed to all of mankind. And you, you began that ministry, you began that work, and, and you went to the cross, you died but you didn't stay dead. 
and you got back up. That's why we worship you, Jesus. No one else in history has predicted their own death, predicted their own resurrection and then did it. That's crazy. And yet you did it. That's why we worship you tonight, Jesus. That's why we come before you as King Jesus and thank you that that you still love us, you still see us. And in these moments of corporate worship that we can gather together for those of us who are in the room, even those who are sitting at home, there's these moments where your Holy Spirit is able to, to speak to us individually. Even though we're in the midst of this crowd of people singing these songs, there's these moments where it's like you're speaking directly to us and no one else in the room. And yet there's the beauty of all of these voices that come together to lift you up, to sing to you, to give you the worship and the glory that you deserve. So thank you, Lord, that we get to experience that together. We thank you that you're here, that your presence is here, already working in people's hearts and in people's lives. And so we just ask that you continue that work now through the power of your spirit that as Pastor Jack comes to speak, God, that you would anoint him and speak through him. And just ask God that you would open our hearts now to receive your word, to receive the words that you have for us tonight. We're ready. We're ready to hear what you have to say to us. So would you speak? Take a moment to pray for yourself. Talk to God right now. Just ask him to show you something tonight. Ask him to move in your heart. Yeah, Lord, we just lay ourselves down now ourselves down before you. We love you. We trust you and all that you want to do tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Love to worship together and just hear your voices and, uh, Maybe it's been a little bit, but I just, whether you're watching online or here, just friends, I love you. I love the fact that we get to do church together. And if you're new, uh, I love you too. And uh, we'll figure that out. We'll get to know each other. And, and it's just a thrill for us to do life together. And so, uh, so glad to have you here to worship together as we start uh, this Christmas series. Uh, there is one word that more than likely you're going to hear more in the next 23 days or so than any other word. It's not the word potluck. Uh, it's not the word busy, though that may feel like it will be high up there. It's probably the word gift. Uh, and so the word maybe that you are thinking, uh, maybe you're gathered here and you have some ideas. People have planted some ideas, whether they emailed you or they've whispered it to you, they've said something to you, they have text messaged you, they have DM'd you to say, hey, as you're thinking about gifts, here's a hint. 
How many of you have been given some hints around gifts? Okay, how many of you have given hints around potential gifts for other people, maybe a significant other one that's sitting next to you that you're elbowing right now, or at home where you're looking across the couch going, hey, um, remember I texted that to you and told you about that, because that's a, the gift idea that you have and that maybe you've been looking for, and as we shop and look and seek out and ask for gifts, I want us to lean back into the, the incredible indescribable kind of gift that was given to us that first Christmas. I have a new favorite Christmas verse uh, that you won't find in Luke chapter 2. We know Luke chapter 2 is kind of the narrative of the, the first night of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And so we, we typically go there to look for uh, a scripture passage around this, and we'll get there tonight. But I want to turn actually to 2 Corinthians 9, 15. And it's the Apostle Paul who's describing in one simple sentence, I think, what captures the beauty of what Christmas is about. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And what's fascinating uh, that Paul writes is we know words have power to them, and they have a way of capturing and, and helping us kind of depict reality. And we have, maybe we've been in a, uh, maybe you've heard this word the last two years as we've been in unprecedented times. No one used that word before uh, this pandemic thing, and then now it was like the word of the year for 2020, right? And like everyone's used it, and they're, it's part of your vernacular now. Like you probably used that word, you're like, I never heard that word before then. But now like, words capture something, and in a way, that word has kind of captured the season that we've been traversing for a while. And, and what's interesting about Paul as he writes this is it's just kind of a one-off sentence, but it's significant in what he writes. I mean, this is a brilliant man who trained under Gamaliel, the rabbi at the time, Saul of Tarsus, who was well-respected in his day, a keen thinker. He was, had a broad vocabulary. He's a master of the Greek language. He was a capable communicator. He writes more of the New Testament than anyone else. Probably one of the greatest theologians ever in existence. And as he pauses around the word gift, he doesn't know what to prefix it with. He, he's like, I, I, I don't know what word can I pull, and he makes one up. Indescribable. That's what he puts in. It's the only time you'll read it in the Bible. The only time. Because when Paul's trying to get his mind around who Jesus is, all that he's done, everything he's accomplished, everything of who he is, He's like, I, I can't think of a better word. He's indescribable. Like, he's so big, and he's so huge, and he's done so much. He's simply indescribable. I, I, I don't know how else to communicate that, he's saying. Paul chooses a term that's used nowhere else. The gift of Jesus is unable to be fully depicted, fully described, or even fully declared. That's what the gift from God is as we remember the gift of Christmas that we're gonna spend the next couple weeks looking at and into Christmas Eve about. All of who he is, what he is, what he has accomplished, and what all of that means is simply indescribable. It's beyond what you can put words to. Now, why is Jesus indescribable? I mean, after all, he was just born a baby, right? How many of you were born a baby? 
we're all participating here. So, uh, Andrew, I see you up there. You're, you're kind of a new baby. And so, like, this idea, like, we have all kind of started this, but if that is simply, and if Jesus was simply an ordinary conception or an ordinary infant, then you wouldn't describe him as indescribable. Unique, yes, we're all unique. You're special. Don't forget that. You're unique, but let's be honest. We all kind of got here the same way. So we're not indescribable, but yet Jesus is. Paul says this is no ordinary infant, no ordinary person. He certainly has no ordinary birth. He's simply indescribable from the beginning until the end. Well, actually, there is no end, so he's just like simply indescribable because he's still going, and he's still alive and active, and so like there's really no word to pick other than I can't really describe him. He's indescribable in that. And so in Luke chapter 2, the typical narrative of the uh, manger scene and all that that you've been around, the Charlie Brown thing. So like you understand kind of the verses lay out. Okay, Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem. We've all heard that. And they have to traverse there. And then it kind of says it came about that while were there, they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths. She laid him in a feeding trough, a manger. That's what a manger is. It's a feeding trough for animals. So think about that. Uh, he didn't have a crib to start. There was no like cool thing. There was no boppy. Uh, okay. There was just, here's a feeding trough. That's what we got because there's no room for them at Motel 6, right? There's no room for the inn. They forgot the Airbnb before they got there. It was all packed. And so they're in this cave looking area, stable of where animals were. That's how the story of Jesus begins that we know. And it's crazy when you begin to think about it. The creator of the heavens and the earth and the universes that we have yet to number started off wrapped in cloths lying in a feeding trough. You may have thought you had a rough beginning. You didn't. That is a rough beginning. And yet we know Jesus began that way. I think, to identify with anyone and everyone. So that his extraordinary, interesting, unique, indescribable beginning in personhood would begin to take kind of a front row seat for people to lean in and go, there's something different about him. We understand he was wrapped in cloth lying in a feeding trough, in a manger. In fact, that's what the angels tell the shepherds that, right? Right, remember that? And the shepherds in the field nearby, blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, this is what you're gonna identify him. He's gonna be wrapped in cloth, and he's lying in a feeding trough. So that's how you're gonna find out who he is and where he is. Just go look for a stable and, and go look for a baby wrapped in cloth that's lying in a feeding trough. That's how you'll find it. And, and we understand wrapping. That's a unique wrapping to start your story with. Uh, I know there are... As we talk about Christmas, um, we have several gifts that are wrapped up here. Some of them might have your name on it. Uh, they are empty, just letting you know. Uh, you don't have to open them. Uh, but like, so if, uh, how many of you wrap gifts? How many of you are like semi-professional wrappers? I'm not talking r and I'm talking like Christmas paper wrappers. Uh, like that is like your love language 
is to wrap. See, there are two kinds of people in the world when it comes to Christmas. There are the people who love to wrap gifts. How, come on. How many of you love to wrap gifts? Like, you are thrilled. When someone says, hey, can you wrap this for me? Like, there is a, just a sprinkling of joy that bubbles up from within you. How many of you are the other type of person that when someone says, wrap this gift, you're like, ugh, right? Okay, so that's you. In fact, gift bags are the greatest invention ever in the world for you and for me too. Uh, and so, like, gift bags, it's really simple. Uh, you take the gift that you bought, and you put it in this bag that's like decorative, and you put a piece of tissue paper, or even paper towels if you can't find tissue paper, over just something that kind of hides it a little bit, so that the person, when they go to open it, just has to do one thing, like one action. Literally, don't even have to extend the full arm. It's like a half an arm, they pull it out, and it's there. And they're excited about that, right? Because you're excited about it when you get gifts. But for others of you, you're like, no, it's the presentation. And it's the effort. And if I'm going to have the effort and joy of rapping, then doggone it, they're going to have the effort, and I don't know if it'll be joy, but it, the effort of unwrapping this gift. And we see different wrappings all around our culture at this time, right? Uh, there is the big giant bow that comes on top of a vehicle kind of wrapping that Lexus, was, Lexus reminds us every December to remember. Uh, I have yet to actually get that kind of wrapped gift. Uh, if anyone's interested, I'm interested. So just saying, uh, but like I've never had that. Maybe you've had that. That's awesome if you've had that. Um, maybe you find different ways of wrapping gifts. Maybe the Matryoshka doll. Did I say that right? Matryoshka? Okay, that's a better accent than me anyway. So Matryoshka, it's the, the hidden dolls that go inside the dolls. And some of you, like, you like to wrap gifts that way. Like, you wrap a box, and then you wrap that in another box that's wrapped and then for kicks and giggles, you get another box, and you put both of those boxes inside that box, and then wrap that one. How many of you are that sadistic? Okay, so like, yeah, so you're that, and, and like, that's fun for you. But you know the person who's unwrapping it, after they open wrapping the first gift, they're like, oh, another box. And then they unwrap another one, they're like, oh, another, uh, I don't know if I'm, we're friends anymore. And so like, they, there's a growing frustration as they do that. When I was 12, uh, my parents, uh, I love, I miss my mother, I love her very much, but like they wrapped gifts and, and when I went to unwrap them, uh, I unwrapped the first one, it was oven mitts. And the crazy thing is they were the oven mitts from our drawer, like I've used these oven mitts and I was like, I'm 12 and uh, I, I don't know what to do with this, ha ha ha, okay, very funny. Okay, I unwrap the next gift and it's like a spatula and it's our spatula from our kitchen. Like I can look over and go, the spatula is missing, oh, I found it, it's in my birthday gift. And so like uh, there's this just, it's a sick joke that's going on in this moment when I'm 12 and I unwrap the next gift and it's just like Kleenex and stuff like that and I'm like, okay, my parents have, like they hate me right now apparently and I don't know what I have done uh, to bring this and finally the last gift I open it up, it's a piece of paper and well, well at least there's paper and I open that up and it says go out of the back porch and I have a brand new bike. So hard to wrap a bike, I get it. Uh, but the joke of that was lost on me for a little bit. <clears throat> so for you who are parents, um, 
you could do that. I mean, I'm 50 and I'm still talking about it. So like your kids will love you forever and talk about you amongst their friends. Uh, so some gifts are hard to wrap. Maybe you've seen the TV commercial where it's a kid's birthday party in the backyard, right? And it's the girl's birthday party and mom says, which gift do you want to open? The camera pans over and there's a kind of a table with a bunch of wrapped gifts and then there's a horse sitting next to it all wrapped in paper and she's like, that one, right? And because it's hard to wrap a horse, okay? It's just, they were horsing around. Okay, anyway, uh, moving on. <clears throat> but Jesus comes wrapped in cloths, lying in a feeding trough. But friends, what I want to suggest to you is that he was wrapped in a whole lot more. How do you wrap an indescribable gift? That's what Paul said. This is the indescribable gift of Jesus. So how do you wrap an indescribable gift? What materials do you use? Perhaps this is a reminder to us that Jesus comes wrapped in prophecy. Long before he showed up in the scene, he's wrapped in prophecy and highlights and in hints and in setups of what is to come. See, God doesn't just randomly, suddenly drop Jesus Christ out of heaven to earth. I mean, he prepares mankind and the world for his coming for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, kind of these hints that are dropped all around. And so can I just highlight a couple? And I think where we're going will encourage you, especially, especially if you're here. And maybe this unprecedented time that we've been in has stirred feelings of, gosh, there's, there's got to be more to life than just what I've been experiencing or more to life than just what I've been pursuing. And if you're here kind of on a spiritual journey, and maybe you're not part of the convinced yet uh, around Jesus and you're trying to understand, then friend, I can't think of a better night for you to be here or for you to be tuning in because I think what you're gonna hear in the next few moments might actually penetrate your heart to awaken something within you that this indescribable gift, Jesus, actually has an unbelievable opportunity for you. Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I hope tonight refreshes your heart. But if you're kind of walking in the direction of Jesus and trying to figure it out, Man, I hope tonight is some light bulb moments for you. So, one of the early prophecies that we read, there's much earlier, in fact, all the way back to Genesis chapter three, we see the very first one. I don't have time to go through them all, I just wanna go through eight of them. So I just wanna highlight some. And so one is from 740 years before Jesus shows up in Luke chapter two, you know, wrapped in cloths, lying in a feeding trough. Like we get that, that's the narrative, we understand that story, Charlie Brown told that story, okay, we get it. So long before, 740 years before that, how many of you have been around 700? Okay, no. Uh, so like 740 years before that, the prophet Isaiah records these words, therefore Jehovah himself, speaking of God, Jehovah himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call him God with us, Emmanuel, God with us with us. You skip over a couple more chapters, chapter 9 of Isaiah, and we read these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
of those living in the land of deep darkness and light has dawned for us. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his greatness and his government, peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Like, that doesn't describe someone ordinary. That describes someone that's almost indescribable. There's only one that that can really be pointing to. It's the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one that's been hinted at and highlighted around and dropped little hints that here's, here's the coming, here's when you will know, here's what to look for. Prophet Isaiah also says in Isaiah 53, some 700 years before Jesus, that he is gonna be the suffering servant. The Messiah will be known, that there will be like this tender shoot who comes up out of the parched ground, that he will have no stately form or majesty about him that will attract us to him. There isn't like this glow about Jesus that everyone goes, oh, that's the Messiah. He's just ordinary in appearance and yet indescribable in reality. And so Isaiah continues to go about this. You can read Isaiah 53 later. It's, we remember that it was God who came in the form of man, not man in the form of God. He looked like any other Jew of his day, a boy who looked like any other carpenter's son. His appearance had nothing majestic about it. There was no shining glow. He drove a nail just like anyone else. He wasn't a man who had uh, miracles fall from his hand until his ministry began. He was just another man from the outward experience or the outward appearance, but he was not ordinary. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was despised and forsaken, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we esteemed him not. It's almost like he was under the radar, yet not. He, he's kind of indescribable if you begin to go with what Paul is saying. How do you wrap an indescribable gift? Well, you wrap them in honest prophecy. It doesn't put the shine on things. It lets things be reality. It's not photoshopped. It's the reality of what is. Some 760 years before Jesus, before Luke chapter 2, when he was born and he was wrapped in cloth, lying in a feeding trough, before that, 760 years in Micah 5.2, it says, For you, O Bethlehem, Though you are the smallest, a ruler will come from you. 760 years before, Jesus is wrapped in prophecy, his profound reality that speaks to the divine nature of Jesus and the reality of who he is. In just eight prophecies, we begin to see. Now, the scriptures have 300 plus that Jesus fulfilled. But in just eight, we see the time of his birth, in Daniel chapter eight and nine, that he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5, 2, that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. And some people, there's debate out there of this whole idea of virgin birth. Well, some people are like, well, you know, just that, that can't be reality. I don't believe in miracles. And so that was just like, 
Mary made a bad decision. They're just trying to gloss over this. And some people live in that camp. Some people live in the camp of, well, I don't really believe in miracles, but maybe like this particular one, or maybe this really didn't happen. We're just going to leave it in context and move on because there was something about Jesus that was special. Some people will say, no, I'm not sure that that is actual reality. I'm not sure actually that it's even important for us to understand. And yet there's another camp that says, no, this is to affirm the virgin birth is a, is a really big deal. It's to understand it's absolutely critical to the doctrine of the whole superstructure of the gospel. And without it, then like Paul later on would say that we should be despised above everybody. Like the whole faith is a hoax then. If this isn't reality, then we're to be pitied. Paul would say. But remember John chapter 1, how it opens the whole gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, Logos, refers to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. John didn't write, in the beginning Jesus was created. He didn't say that. Or after a little while, Jesus was created. Jesus was already there. In John 17, Jesus is talking about the glory he enjoyed with the Father before the foundations of the world began. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that Jesus was God himself in heaven and enjoyed the glory of God because he is God. Jesus set aside his divinity to come in humanity humbled himself, even humbled himself under death to the cross. So when we talk about the virgin birth, this isn't just some people will say, well, the virgin birth just means Mary was young. No, no, no. There's nine occurrences of that word in the Old Testament. Eight of them speak about this idea of virgin birth. And if you don't know how you got here, then talk to your parents. Because we all got here the same way. It's how it rolls. But not Jesus. See, I hate to remind you, but your birth, you are ordinary. Now listen, you're special. Don't think less of yourself, but you're ordinary. But Jesus, he's indescribable. This virgin birth is a reality of the faith. The salvation of our very hope in Jesus depends on this. Jesus was present at creation. He is eternal. This is foundational to who he is. In fact, a, a matter of fact, I mean, there was kind of this battle that went on in the third or fourth century of a young man named Arius suggested that Jesus Christ was God-like, but not actually God. He argued that Jesus was created, and there was a time when Jesus was not, and Arius kind of in his, uh, his winsomeness actually put this to song. And there were debates and riots that happened around this as Christendom said, no, this is not reality. In fact, the words, if you want to look up the words of Gloria Patri, it's a song that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago to, to kind of push back against Arianism. The words say, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit as it was in the beginning is now ever shall be the world without end. Meaning, Jesus was not created. He did the creating. He's been there the whole time. He is God. The virgin birth is a birth like none other. It's God himself. It's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. 
The New Testament bears witness to this. Mary's response when she's told in the Gospel of Luke, you're gonna give birth to the Son of God, how is that to be? I'm a virgin, not I'm young. How is that to be? Again, if you don't know how that is to be, talk to your parents, because you're ordinary and you got here the same way that we all did. And, And so, but not Jesus. He's not ordinary, he's actually indescribable. Matthew's gospel develops the birth account around the character of Joseph. Think about Joseph in this moment. The angel expects Joseph to believe Mary that she is with child in no other way that anyone else has ever been with child. Think about this. My son just got engaged last weekend. Okay, that's pretty awesome. I'm excited about that. Um, But when you were engaged in Jewish times in the first century, uh, you realize that you were actually betrothed then. If something were to happen then, like if your spouse, your fiance was to die, you were to be treated like a widow. Like, it's not like America where it's like, okay, we're together, kind of. Okay, now it's official, right? No, it was official then. And yet there was not this coming together yet. And so Joseph actually goes back and he says, listen, out of the goodness of his own heart, he's saying, I don't want to ruin Mary's life. And so I'm going to kind of divorce her kind of on the side, on the down low. I'm going to keep this secret. And God says, no, I got to send an angel to stop this because, hey, Joseph, what's actually going on is bigger than you. And I know it's, it's indescribable, but you need to hang in there because this is from God. And that's a really big deal because of the truth of what it brings back. The, the Apostles' Creed, written in 341 AD, states, I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary. The Nicene Creed, written in 325 AD, goes to great length to make the point that Christ's birth was altogether different from anyone else's birth. He was begotten of God, not made. The word begotten means fathered by God. C.S. Lewis records it this way, when you beget something, you beget it after your own kind. A human male would beget human children. A beaver would beget little beavers. A bird would beget eggs that become other birds. That's what it means. So the writers of these creeds said, no, no, you have to understand, Jesus was not created. He's the creator. And he came through the virgin birth. All of this builds the case for us to defend the doctrine of the virgin birth. And why is that so important? Because it's absolutely critical for our salvation that Jesus Christ be both fully God and fully man. Because without that reality, then it's up to you to save yourself. And it's up to me to save myself. And people have been trying that from the beginning. So good luck. You're toast without that. So am I. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of what he did. Jesus alone is the mediator between God and fallen man. He is the savior of the world, uniquely positioned to stand between God and man, which is what we needed in order for mankind to be reconciled to a holy and perfect God. We needed that. Now, that's just three prophecies. So quickly, can I hit the other five? Again, I'm only going through eight. Here's a couple more. He would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11:12. He would be mocked, Psalm 22, 7 and 8. He would be crucified, Psalm 22, John 3:14. Jesus talks about it himself. He would be pierced, 
Psalm 22:16. He would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. Isaiah records this in Isaiah 53. See, these prophecies being fulfilled actually provide verifiable proof that Jesus' identity as the Messiah is the real deal. It backs up who he is. And that's why this is so profound. Because especially, again, if you're searching, if you're trying to put together a faith and trying to put together a kind of this faith journey of, okay, do I take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of this religion, and kind of mix it together like a stew? Sure, you could do that. And you might find it beneficial. But the reality is you're mixing things that are just up to you and up to you and up to you, and you create what you want to create. But the reality is the faith of Christianity the reason it has a hope and the reason it has a foundational truth is because Jesus didn't come wrapped just in cloths lying in a manger. He came wrapped in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that confirm who he is. Now, I want you to go on a little math journey with me. Now, for some of you who are engineers, like you just, your ears perked up and you got excited. For most of us, we're like, oh, listen, I went to Marana, so this math is not gonna be that complicated, okay? So, but I want you to go on this journey with me because I think the reality is it will actually potentially blow your mind. Peter W. Stoner, chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College was passionate about biblical prophecies. He wrote a book, um, talked about science, speaks. You can look it up and Google it yourself. But in that, he got together 600 students and he said, listen, I want to come up with some conservative probabilities of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies. I went through eight, if you weren't paying attention, I went through eight. So the probability of Jesus fulfilling those eight prophecies, what's the likelihood of one person showing up, randomly fulfilling those particular eight, what's the probability mathematically what that would be? So let's just go on a little math journey, shall we? Okay, I've got my lucky hat, it's a U of A hat, bear down, okay? So like, uh, I've got 10 tickets in here, okay? They are yellow tickets, look at that, ooh, nice, okay? So we got 10 tickets in here, I'm just gonna mix it around, mix it around, mix it around. I'm looking back here, oh, aren't those decorations nice? I pick out a ticket and it's a yellow ticket. Does this have a red X on it? No, okay, but there is a ticket in here that has a red X, there it is. Now I've got 10 tickets, how many tickets do I have? 10, I've got 10. What is the probability of me reaching into my hat and pulling out the one ticket that has the red X on it? Oh, that's not the one that has the red X. What is the probability, folks? One out of 10. For some of you who are playing along at home, I'm gonna do a quick rewind. We have 10 tickets. I pull out one. The likelihood of me pulling out the one ticket with an X is one, 10%. Okay, so we're all catching up, we're all doing well. We're with this, okay, we're traveling well together. All right, so that's the probability, right? So Peter Stoner and the, kind of this conglomerate went together and said, okay, what is the mathematical probability of Jesus actually fulfilling eight prophecies. How many do we say the Bible had? 300 plus, okay? So if you have your sermon notes on your phone that we put in there, you can actually look up the article where I got all this information from, from the book and resource that he wrote called Science Speaks. And he writes about that. And he talks about, hey, the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies would be like this silver dollar. Now, 
uh, the probability is Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies would be one times 10 to the 17th power, okay? So just for kicks and giggles and for us to understand this, uh, Jeff Bezos, we've all heard of him. He owns that Amazon thing. So like he's worth $205 billion, okay? So I have a hard time getting my name or my mind around that. $200, I can understand. $200 billion, I don't understand that. How much is our deficit? Uh, anyone know? It's in the trillions, right? Okay. Anyone know the number beyond trillion? Yeah, we're all debating it. We don't even know. Okay, so like, I want you to think about this. So, trillion is 12 zeros. Uh, what's this number? 10 to the what? 17th power. Now, if you're counting and looking at it, there are 17 zeros here. So we are well beyond trillion, okay? Here's, now listen, I know some of you, I've already lost you because you're like, I, I uh, don't, I can't, do listen, focus here, okay? Here's one silver dollar, right? One, it's worth how much? Guess what? One dollar. It's a silver dollar, therefore it's worth one dollar. Okay, we're all playing along. So this silver dollar, um, what, what Peter Stoner and the team came up with to help you understand this number, that just eight prophecies for Jesus to fulfill that, for actually for one person to come and actually fulfill all eight of those, the probability of that would be like if you were to take one silver dollar and then actually to get this many, so because that's like a really big number, you would have to cover the state of Texas. How many of you have driven through Texas? Okay, so like when you're driving through Texas, after about three hours, don't you feel like, I should be in another state right now, right? And then you're like, I'm a third of the way through this state. And that's why they say everything's bigger in Texas, they want to be their own country, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so like, Texas is huge, we get it, you're a big deal. Okay, so um, one silver dollar, now multiplied by that number, which is like an astronomical number, we can't get our mind around it, but picture this. The state of Texas covered in silver dollars two feet deep the entire state, okay? The entire state, two feet deep of silver dollars, one of them with a red X on the back of it. And then we call up our buddy Morgan and we say, Morgan, listen, I need you to walk through Texas slugging through two feet deep of silver dollars, and we're going to let you go for a few hours. In fact, we're going to let you go for five days because you're slugging through two feet of silver dollars. It's going to take you a long time to get through Texas. I'm not even sure after five days if you'd be halfway through the state of Texas, nor would I. And so let's just say, Morgan, you're going out there. You get to go as far as you want, as long as you want. Just stay in the state of Texas, two feet deep of silver dollars, and you get to reach down one time and pick up one coin. The likelihood of you picking up the one coin with the X on the back is that. That is the reality of your Savior. Think about that. The reality that Jesus fulfilled eight prophecies is that. I'm just getting warmed up. Not only did he fulfill eight, let's just double that from eight to 16. 
from 8 to 16, the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling 16 prophecies would be 1 to 10 to the 45th power. That would be 1 with 45 zeros after it. You don't even try to get your mind around what that number would be. And that is 16 prophecies. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? 300 plus. Friends, Jesus fulfilled enough prophecy for you to have a foundational reality that you have a hope in him that is like nothing else in this universe, let alone all the other universes. The reality of what Jesus fulfilled. It's why Paul would say, thanks be to God, for his indescribable gift. It's indescribable. You can't even get your mind around it. Here's how Professor Stoney talks about it. He says, to the extent that you would send a blindfolded man out to pick up a marked item is why the Bible is inspired. This is not merely evidence. It is proof of the Bible's inspiration by God, proof so definite that the universe is not large enough to hold the evidence. He goes on to say, any man or woman who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting the fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. Period. Jesus is the gift of Christmas. And he didn't just come wrapped in cloths lying in a, tr- in a feeding trough, in a manger. He came wrapped in prophecy and he came wrapped in enough prophecies to be able to show you and have provable evidence that he is who he says he is. Let alone the fact of what Lyle said earlier, that he predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. The historical evidence speaks, friends. Now, For those of you who are Christians, I hope this refreshes you to go, man, I'm a part of something that is, let's just borrow Paul's word, indescribable. If you're not a Christian, and maybe you're just spiritually searching, then can I just invite you to lean in a little bit more? And maybe some of your hesitation and pushing back against Jesus isn't about fact. Maybe it's about, I don't know if I want to change. And that's a different story. We'll talk about that another time. But if it is about fact, then friend, there it is. Do with it what you want. But the facts speak Science speaks to the hope that we have. Jesus came wrapped in prophecy that brings a foundational certainty to our faith forevermore. How do you wrap an indescribable gift? Well, you wrap it in enough prophecy to blow people's minds. To show and to prove I am who I say I am. And I can do what I say I can do. The hope of our faith 
is in a Jesus whose prophecy is fulfilled, so much so to the point that one of the greatest theologians ever said, I want to tell you about this gift. What word do I choose to tell you and to capture everything that is this gift of Christmas, this gift of Jesus? Ah. He's simply indescribable. So Father, what we pray for tonight as we close in a worship song here and a couple quick announcements, go on with our night, that we would not lose this moment, this tension we've been in, this realization of the reality of who Jesus is, all of who he is and what he's about and what he said and what he captured, what he fulfilled. In eight prophecies, 10 to the 17th power, I can't even get my mind around that. In 16 prophecies, 10 to the 45th power, I can't even get my mind around that. In 350 plus prophecies, good golly. Jesus, forgive us for shrinking you down. You are not a God who sits on a shelf. You don't even fit on the shelf. You don't even fit in any box we could ever create. You are beyond that. You don't even fit in the universe that you created. You're beyond that. And this Christmas season, we're reminded and refreshed again that you are so much bigger and so much better and so much more beautiful than we can ever give you credit for. So Father, for those of us who've been walking with Jesus, would you refresh our hearts tonight? As we worship, would you rekindle the hope that you put within our hearts? God, for those that are maybe on a spiritual journey, I pray, God, that you would surprise them often with the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, who you are. And that you went to all those lengths prove you are who you say you are. And that you've come to seek and to save the ones that you're seeking. So Jesus, we worship you this season. May we not get lost in all the gifts. Those are fun. May we be captured again by the gift of Christmas, this gift of Jesus, this indescribable gift.
that you decided to join us tonight, whether you're here or online. Uh, thanks for, for being a part of this worship experience tonight. We hope you were blessed by that. So a couple of quick things before uh, we release you. Um, first of all, the 10 minute party. Don't forget that's in the back. Jack's already back there. And so if you're new, if it's your first time or if you've never gone back there with a connection card or any of that stuff, we have, say it with me, the best kettle corn south of the Grand Canyon. That's how good it is, folks. I'm telling you, you don't wanna miss out. Uh, we've got the food distribution that's going on this weekend. Um, so really where we could use the help is if Friday morning, if anyone's uh, got, I know Friday morning, most of you are at work, we get it. But if you have Friday morning free, we meet at Caring Ministries to pre-pack those boxes that we're gonna put in the people's uh, vehicles as they roll through this coming Saturday. We've got one of our small groups, uh, one of the e-groups is gonna be owning that food distribution. So if you wanna come be a part of that uh, on Saturday morning, you can do that as well. All that info's in the app, as well as all the events that are coming up. There's like so many events, guys, like so many events. You don't wanna miss out on them. Uh, so check that events tab in the app. A uh, couple that we wanna draw your attention to next week. Uh, if you're one of the ladies around here and you're looking to get connected into an e-group of some sort, we wanna have a meet and greet so that you can meet Diane Knowles. She's the one who heads up our women's e-group. Um, we've got Dorothea, we've got a couple other ladies who are part of that, but next Sunday before service at four o'clock, am I getting that right? four o'clock. Uh, we're going to do a meet and greet here on campus. So uh, come be a part of that if you're looking to get connected with the ladies group. Um, we've got the Winter Haven walkthrough as well. We've got uh, hot cocoa and cookies and stuff going on after church. We've got Christmas Eve services at four and six. So lots going on. Uh, don't miss out on all of that. So let me just pray real quick as we uh, get out of here uh, tonight. But Lord, uh, we want to thank you that we were able to gather here under your name 
under the name of Jesus to lift you up and to hear those numbers, God, that we can never wrap our minds around that, but to see just the, the sheer ridiculousness of what it is that you achieved in sending your son, Jesus, to fulfill all of those prophecies. And so there's probably people here tonight who, who simply won't believe it and they just can't believe it. And they're like, ah, and that's okay, that's okay. What truly matters is we wanna believe that, that you are who you say you are, that you died, you rose again. And we're gonna start there. And so if, if history shows us that this is something that's true, that this is something that happened, we can pin our lives on that. And the rest of that will start to make sense of as ever, whenever that happens, God. That's our heart is that people would just believe that aspect, but to see the rest of this stuff as compelling evidence as to why you are who you said that you are. And if you're able to do that, and your word also tells us that you love us, that you know the number of hairs that are on our head, that even the birds and all these animals, that you provide everything for them, how much more will you provide for your own likeness, for your own people who were made in your image? We wanna live with that knowledge, God, that when we step out of this place, we stepped out of here loved by our creator in a powerful, powerful way. And let us carry that message, that hope into the world, into our world, wherever it is we get to interact with people. Would that be the message that's on our lips this holiday season? Would that be something that we want to invite people to be a part of? So God, allow that to happen. We love you. We're grateful for tonight. We're grateful we could gather together. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Have a great week.